If more Asian women came out and wanted to take a more proactive role in trying to make changes, I think it would be unstoppable. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Warrior Queen Project podcast. We have in our studios today, Rina Risa DeFranzo, and we'd like to welcome you. Rina is one of the most interesting women I know because she is a soft-spoken Asian Filipino origin, second generation, and yet one of the most dynamic, successful women, I would say, who is out there. And we would like her to share with us what it is to be a warrior queen. And I'd like to introduce one more thing, that Rina is what we call from our film, The Warrior Queen. She's a mother, daughter, sister, friend, but above all, a warrior. So welcome on our show. Thank you, Swati Vise, for such a kind introduction. Um, it's a pleasure being here and to talk to you and be part of the Warrior Queen Project. Rena, I'm never kind. I honestly mean it. <laughs> you are just amazing. Aww. And it's it's been a pleasure to meet such strong women who can lead and help other Asian women of you know different origins, backgrounds, economic, social, as well as... Asian Pacific Islanders and have the empathy that we need people to have. And that's where you come in today because I've always admired you for the very empathetic way that as a lawyer that you look at the world and objectively and look at facts over emotion. So one of the things I would love to know is tell me a little about growing up as a Filipino in New York with your first generation parents mm. who obviously uh, faced a lot of hardships mm -hmm. and they had a traditional life. Give us a little peek into that world of yours. Sure. Um, my parents migrated from the Philippines to Astoria in Queens in New York City. It was about 1969. And uh, they were both professionals, CPAs in the Philippines, accountants. They actually met at work. Um, and they traveled to Manila. My dad, when they got married, my father moved to Astoria first to New York before bringing my mother. He wanted to find a job. When he found the job and a house, he brought her, brought her over to, to come and live with him and, and establish a family. Um, what's interesting is, you know, it was, I feel like I grew up in a very traditional but non-traditional household. So I had my father, he was the breadwinner. He worked most of the time, not really involved um, in our, us growing up, right? So if we were out of line, obviously he would get involved. But he, he was mostly focused on staying at work. My mother worked most of the time. Um, so I always had that role model of seeing my mother who was juggling both personal as well as professional. But she took more of a back seat. She started her career at Merrill Lynch in Manhattan. When she started having kids when we got older, she wanted to work closer to home so she could be home earlier to cook the meals and be around for us when, when, when we needed her. So she made her career take a little bit of the back seat while my father dedicated most of his time to 
establishing um, his career and providing for the family. My mother was also, I think, a lot like other Asian families, my mother petitioned her mother to come and help raise us. So I was raised in a large part by my grandmother, who, when I look back and I hear her story, she was a warrior. Both my mother and my grandmother were warriors. My grandmother was like the recognized head nurse in her small town in the Philippines. That's amazing. Yes, and she, interesting, because I'm prompted to talk about her now. Um, she was like a second mother, but when I hear about what's happening in Ukraine, and I thought back to my grandmother when she was the head nurse um, in her town, it was found out that she was helping the American soldiers during World War II. And it got word out that the Japanese were going to come and kill her and her entire family because oh of her, she was helping the Japanese. And so it was late in the evening, my grandmother told me the story, late in the evening, the town basically hurried their entire family, even she had seven children, on a small fishing boat. And they had to stay on this fishing boat and they let them go into the water for, I think, weeks to hide from the Japanese until things, and they said, we'll come get you when the news or when we realize things are safe. But my mother even remembers being on this boat in World War II. And, you know, if you imagine this, my grandmother, a nurse with seven children on a fishing boat during World War II, and have, she was a warrior. And Definitely. I mean, in fact, your story is just resonating so many years later uh, with, with the story I just read in the Washington Post about an Indian family um, just the day before who died crossing the border from Canada and the cold to the United States. And there were two children, a 10-year-old and a three-year-old, and two of them. And these stories we're still hearing. So you're here today because your grandmother survived. Rena, just listening to the story of your grandmother tells me that every young woman we meet today, uh, especially when I say Asian Pacific Islanders, we have a history of family tradition legacy. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist in the United States, but it's a different concept. And we do these podcasts to really share with everyone in America what it means to be Asian, even though we come and live here. Sometimes those roots are strong and the legacy continues and the tradition. And it becomes confusing because the next generation wants to be completely modern, American, contemporary but they keep getting pulled back because that is our tradition. It is a lot like there's a Thanksgiving tradition. We all adopt that, but we don't let go of what, for example, your grandmother did. And your grandmother's tremendous sacrifice is what made your mother who she is. And your mother pushed you to become who you are. So these are the warriors that have made you a warrior. And that's what I would love to know more about your grandmother, because she was like a mother to you, but how would it be seen in today's context if she had to do exactly the same thing in the United States? And what would have happened? Right, right, I, I, I thought of the same thing. And it's interesting because I tried to put myself in my grandmother's shoes at that time. Imagine there's war in the United States, there's war here, you know, 
would we be brave or would I be have been brave enough to put myself and my family on the line by standing up for what I believed was right and what should be done? Um, and I think that kind of translates or cross, it, it translates to every day, what we do every day in our lives. And I think, you know, it serves to me as such a um, inspiration when you see a woman, she was a career woman, she was brave, she was smart, she was on the top, you know, she was regarded as the top head nurse in her town. Um, and she, it didn't stop her. It didn't stop her. The fear of war, the fear of, you know, the Japanese coming in, it did not stop her. And I feel, do, in today's society, do we have that kind of courage? to Empathy. And empathy to go out and do what is right to help other people and be brave enough and sacrifice our own selves for something greater or something that is not just about me, it's something about us or right. we. It's something not tangible. Right. You know, not everything has to have, you know, be monetized and how, you know, it's a monetary gain. Right. You're absolutely right. And I think what you and me are both trying to bring out here is family values, ethics, mm. and a community value of giving to a community and saying, it's not just about me. If there's a flood in my home, there will be a flood next door and I have to go and help them out as well, right. literally. Right. So what we're seeing in the United States today is a lot of Asian hate crimes and we're all uh, in a new age where you're supposed to be more modern and more internet and more savvy and far more educated than our grandmothers or great-grandmothers. Then why is it that we have actually less of courage and strength and a spirit of community. Mm. I'd love to know from you how you would tell your 10-year-old daughter, who I'm sure is as gorgeous as you, and what would you give her advice as to survive in today's modern America, post-COVID America, um, with so much wit witnessing of Asian crime, where she probably doesn't see herself as Asian because she's born and brought up, right. third generation. Why would she then have to go to school or college and hide the fact that she looks Asian or worry when she gets on a subway? I would want to know what are the tips that you would give to her? I think the greatest teaching example for any child, and what I try to do for my children, is by example. Um, we can't. We have to. We can't just talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. And I think that challenges me as a mother, and but even as a human being, on who I want to be. What is my legacy? What do I want to leave behind? What's the impression I want to leave my children? So I think every day, you know, even when going to work. Good leaving early in the morning and, you know, her seeing me rushing out the door to catch the train. You know, this is an example. You know, mommy does this for our family. Mommy does this to support our family. Mommy does this because she wants a career and it makes her happy too, right? And so she, my children understand this and I feel that I've done a decent job so far in helping them understand having that courage or trying to ha strike that balance at home with trying to provide for your family, but also trying to be true to yourself and your values and what how you were brought up. It's interesting because my father did not want me to become a lawyer. 
right? So he was trying to push me to be something more traditional Filipino uh, job. Nurse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine myself being a nurse. <laughs> nurse, doctor, dentist, all acceptable for them. That's what you should do. But, you know, I stuck to my guns and, you know, my, I, my, the day I was going into law school, my dad threw a Wall Street Journal article on my, my desk and I never forget, it says, jobless new lawyers seek other avenues. He says, are you sure <laughs> that you want to be a lawyer? And I said, yes, I, I do. Yes, dad, I am. And, you know, I, I believe that even in the face of, I'm very respectful towards my father and his opinion, obviously, but even despite that, I believe it really was my mother and my grandmother, you know, who were such great role models. They had such this spirit of strength. When I think of the warrior queen, I really think of my mother and my grandmother. How wonderful, and I'm sure that's very true. It's very true. You know, my mother, when I say in the non-traditional role, so my mother did take a backseat. I had mentioned in her career, she worked at Merrill Lynch, and she decided to take a simple bookkeeping job close to home. She taught me how to read brokerage statements. She liked playing in, liked investing in the stock market. Mm-hmm. She taught me how to read brokerage statements. She taught me how to invest. What do I look for in stocks? She told me I'd get birthday birthday gifts. So instead of buying toys or the latest dress or some sneakers, she would say, you're investing this in some stock. And let's look at what stock that we can invest our, your money in. Incredible. And so these are little examples I say to myself, I need to teach this to my daughter. I'm like, I, my mother took the time out of her busy schedule managing a household, managing her, you know, job, and saying these are certain skills that I want to teach my, my daughter. Real world, real life examples. You don't learn reading a brokerage statement in college, right? So it took, you know, my mother saying, I'm going to teach you how to read this so you could be investing in your own future. And she also told me growing up, very young, never rely financially on a man. You have to do it yourself. I need her on my podcast <laughs> because that's exactly what is so uplifting to all of us mm-hmm. is women like this who told their daughters, yes, be presentable, look great, but having a man and getting a man in marriage is not the end goal. That yeah. can be something in between you and your career if it satisfies you. And your right. mother sounds exactly like someone who's starting a young daughter to you know, invest and teach her how to handle money, Right. the, the, the basic key to survival. As an adult, I realize how profound that statement is. But when you're young, you're like, okay, mom, yeah, of course, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it. It's like second nature. But it was never an option in my mind that I would not be finan- like try to be financially successful, financially independent. Right. Rather. Which you have been, which is brings me to my next question, which is what has your experience been as a very strong American Asian lawyer in a predominantly male pool of venture capital, private equity, hedge funds, which are all in the financial global circuit because you've done it from Asia to America, East Coast, West Coast. It's all been dealing with a male-dominated field with a lot of Wall Street, high testosterone. And I'm not saying women don't have high testosterone, but you are, you know, gentle and very soft-spoken. I would love to know how it was with all those pounding fists Mm. and with your very objective, calm 
uh, presence in those meetings? When I was younger, earlier in my career, it wouldn't be unusual that I'd be the only woman or only Asian mm -hmm. in the room or in a conference room. And it still happens today, unfortunately. But I really, and I feel really strongly about this, about you know how do you break through boys clubs? It's male dominated. And while I feel a society is trying to recognize this by forcing employers to put DNI training and you know forcing policies for the government to recognize the disadvantages that women have in the workplace these are all fine and good to really have change the women have to change asian women have to change there is a hierarchy there is a hierarchy in the asian household and you're especially when it comes to elders and you're very deferential to older to elder people. You have respect, a sign of respect. And I think that is a wonderful characteristic Absolutely. about the Asian culture. Absolutely. And something I want my kids to to still have because it, it I think it very shows important. a sign of respect. Very, very important. And so you've always growing up, you've always approaching elders as an arm's length distance, mm -hmm. right? And it's not really part of our nature to say, I'm gonna be I could be shoulder to shoulder to this older gentleman because it, it just wasn't part of my nature growing up at right, all. Right, And I just remember when I was a first-year associate at a big corporate law firm, and we had a summer outing, and there was one female partner. There was only a handful of partners at this, who were female at this big corporate law firm. And there was this woman who was sitting outside with other senior male partners. And I was so impressed by how comfortable she looked, how graceful she was, and she was laughing and enjoying herself in the company, being the only woman surrounded on a table with other men. And she, she owned it. She owned it. And I recognized when I was maybe 22 years old, I said, wow, I, I want to be like that one day. Mm -hmm. And I think the key to kind of breaking these biases, this unconscious bias that, you know, that exists in the workplace is being likable. And I feel like you could still be true to yourself, but being likable, and what I mean by being likable, it's putting your personal self out there to a certain degree to your employers, to the, your, co your male co-workers, other co-workers on who you are. You're not a lotus flower. You're not a China doll. I am I am me, and you need to get to know me because I can be hardworking, I could be effective, and I could be confident at the same time. But you may not know that because maybe you have a certain stereotype of what an Asian woman should be. But if you take that time to reveal a certain aspect of your personal self to, let's say, the older male boss in your office who's white, so he can see who you are, other than just maybe what this unconscious bias that he may have. True, true. But I would ask another question. I completely agree with you. When it's been centuries of this dinosaur white male club, how do you as an Asian still feel that, yes, you can prove yourself? And I completely agree. And we cannot blame someone else for, you know, our own issues. But there will always be those who want to keep that person out of that circuit. And how do you advise younger women to, without 
necessarily always going to sue for small, silly issues, which has become the trend I see as well. How would you as a lawyer and an Asian woman advise them and give them tips to move forward in life with strength, with ethics, with being true to yourself and commanding respect, not demanding it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's also, in, in particular case, the example that you gave, I could think of instances in my life where I felt maybe the top, top person was not as welcoming. They had mm -hmm. more of a boys club. Mm -hmm. But in that particular case for me, I formed alliances around the people that are around him. And I became, you know, I used the technique of being approachable, being likable, letting them understand that I can, I can at times be modest, and, but also at the same time I could be assertive when I need to be. And so in this case, I would say you can't change, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? And I feel though the combination of your skill set and saying I am effective, I am smart, I am hardworking, but also likable and I can prove myself, you may not believe that I can or you may not like me, but I can prove myself to everyone around that you do like and show that I am capable. In that instance, maybe he's not giving you, maybe he may not want to give you the promotion, but the number two under him that he trusts and he respects wants to give you that promotion and is more open-minded or doesn't have those kind of biases mm -hmm. or prejudices that other people have. So I think in the workplace, it's also important to form important alliances and you, got, you have to let people understand you're, you're a lot more complex person who bring, can bring a lot more to the table than just an intelligent mind or hardworking skill set. You're a lot more dynamic. So what are the tips you would share with the younger and older Asian women to package themselves better when looking for good representation for lawyers, since mm -hmm. that is your forte? How would you advise them? Mm -hmm. uh, because unfortunately, there's so many women out there who don't have the right advice very often. I mm -hmm. think advice is sometimes better than money. Mm -hmm. And that takes you a long way. Mm -hmm. I really believe there's no one-size-fits-all approach. And I think, I think as a woman, you need to dial up your EQ um, in instances like mm -hmm. this, right? You have to understand what is the impression I'm trying to make on someone? What are the goals that I'm trying to achieve? You know, you have to understand or know when you need to dial things up and when you need to dial things down. Right, right. You don't always have to. So you to. wouldn't tell someone that don't be so strong that they're threatened by you Correct. when you walk into a room. Correct. Maybe that's, that's not always the great approach. I think maybe my younger self probably would have less of a, more in, I was more insecure when I was younger when it came to professional working in a boardroom or working in the conference room, or dealing business negotiations. So you would feel like, I have to come up, bring up more of this masculine energy to the table, and you have to come up a little bit stronger um, to the person that you're dealing with, the other side. And you know, as you get more comfortable and you start realizing who you really are, and combining that with some level of um, EQ on your business dealings, it's mm -hmm. very effective. And, you know, knowing who is, who is this person that I'm dealing with? How would they respond to 
certain things. If and try so to put EQ yourself, is really important. Oh, it's so important. It's so important. You have to. Who are these people? And I think anyone who does who goes into a setting negotiation or a deal without studying who that other person is, who they're dealing with, what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what makes them agitated, without trying to do that level of analysis. Yeah, I think it, it makes sense. It's like if you're making a film, we needed to first see who's your audience. Right. Who is your audience? Correct. Because every person is different. Someone likes A and B and C. You can't have everybody liking the same. So right. you're, you know, very well said. Would you lastly have changed any career choices if you could go back to being in university? No, no. Being a lawyer, it opens up so many doors and your skill sets that you have. Like everyone thinks, oh, a lawyer, you're just in this courtroom as a litigator a lot of times, right? It's like, no, I'm not. Uh, I don't know anything about, you know, being uh, in, in the courtroom. But at the same time, being a lawyer teaches you a certain mind and skill set. So I could be able to analyze what their potential arguments are. I could... You Almost know. like a chess player, right? Where you think of your next five moves and your opponent. Correct. Correct. That is impressive. You have to. It, it, it's a it's a skill set and a mindset that if anyone wanted to be, if you want to be a startup uh, entrepreneur, if you wanted to be a corporate lawyer, if you if I could want to pivot from private equity, from hedge funds to venture capital, it's a skill set and a mind training. So I I very much enjoy what I do as my career. It's I feel like it's satisfying. And um, I get energy when we're trying to do business and doing deals. So it, it fits my personality uh, very and well. And I've also seen, you know, in your current position, you're very involved, you know, in the last several years, you've been working on women's empowerment projects, getting different women in elected to public offices, mm -hmm. which is so important that women should be in policymaking places. Mm -hmm. So you're part of, you know, the, the directors and advisors on this group, so can you tell us a little more about how you feel about women, especially um, upy women, making that difference in different fields? Right. I think, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, being part of the Making Herstory Project and, you know, working with you alongside the Warrior Queen Project, it hits kind of sensitivities in my own heart, which on my day to day, I don't really analyze. And I start saying to myself, yes, you're, they're so right. This needs to be out there more. This needs to be explained more. We need to talk about it more. We need, we need a dialogue. And I think it's so important to see, you know, when I look at an Asian woman who no doubt, you know, statistic wise, Asian, Asians are the most well-educated and well-compensated U.S. demographic, right? They did a study in 2017. Right. And when you try, you know, so there's no question about women or Asian women's work ethic, how smart they are and what they're willing to do. And I feel that if more Asian women came out and wanted to take a more proactive role in trying to make changes, I think it would be unstoppable, right? It would really be unstoppable because... You know, there's, they have the intelligence, they have the, the charisma, they have the ability to make these changes, but they just have to want to and, and step outside their traditional thinking. Which holds them back. Right. Which is, is don't rock the boat, 
don't upset anyone and don't speak up because just your work will show. Mm. But in uh, the, you know, the American current culture, I, I, I'm wondering, would you agree that if you don't speak about yourself, no one else is going to sell your product? Right, right. You have to be, in all areas in life, you have to be your best advocate in everything. You can't expect, and I find this so, I've made mistakes of this younger. You're assuming that your boss, your employer knows exactly what you want or what you need. And the point is, no, you need to be able to voice that out. And as a lot of times, Asian women, they they hold back. They don't Absolutely. they don't talk about it. And I feel that you have to go to bat for yourself. You have to be your greatest advocate. But, but the Asian culture tells you, I think, in India, we're told that if you bat for yourself, you know, don't sing your own praises. Somebody else should do it. That's very obnoxious for you to talk about your skill set. Someone else should do it. So when you have a tradition which tells you never, right. ever, you know, ramp up your resume, write it in a modest manner, but the person reading thinks you've ramped it up, but it's actually ramped down. So culturally, I think people don't understand that Asia is taught. Don't speak about yourself. Right. Don't pad your resume. What you do, you write a little less, not more, because you would be then told in Asia that you're a pushy, aggressive person. Right. Having America understand the Asian culture, because it is confusing, especially for the children, all our children who are American, born and brought up here, yet are respecting your grandmothers and great-grandmothers and a tradition. So I feel it's so important that stories like yours share the, the dilemma that women go through when portraying their best foot forward and talking about themselves. And I think it's, it's wonderful that you've been able to share with us today, um, you know, all these tips. And so on a last note, what is the biggest tip that you would give younger, older, all these women who they are the, the people who have to take care of the older parents, not the sons. They're the ones who will be looked at to be the one who is taking care of the children. Anything goes wrong, they are both the breadwinners. Mm. They're the ones who leave their job first in the family. They move to different locations. What would you tell them? Right. It's so interesting because I feel like I'm in it right now, right? And it's a learning process for me, to be so honest. Um, Cheryl Sandberg, um, and she did a, a study. She was saying 40% of women are breadwinners in their family. But at the same time, the work that these women breadwinners are doing at home has not changed. In fact, they did a study, they estimated about women do 3.5 uh, times more domestic work than husbands, than their husbands mm -hmm. do, um, even though if they're both working parents. And so this is a challenge, right? So this is a right. challenge of real challenge for women in the workplace, I would say also Asian women in the workplace who maybe, again, are inclined, watching their mothers, again, being deferential, well, this is my, this is, this is the cross that I have to bear, this is what right. I need to do, and this is just how it's always going to be. 
And I, I have to say, I struggle with part of it myself. You know, I. No, all Asian women we, struggle. I think you speak for all of us. I mean, that is the cross that everyone bears. For me, when everyone says, you know, oh, can you have it all? Can you be a great mother? Can you be a great career woman? Can you be a great spouse? The answer really is, and what I'm learning along the way is, no, you can't be everything to everyone at the same time. There's going to be occasions when, you know, I'm not bringing my A game to this meeting because the night before my two children were sick with the stomach flu and I was up until three o'clock in the morning. So the next day I'm maybe, I'm not having my A game at the, at the table, right? But it's understanding, I think, for me having it all is being able to say I'm trying my best in each areas of my life. I may not be succeeding 100%, 100% of the time, but I have to allow myself enough grace to be okay with that. Right. And to me, that is success because I'm allowing myself while I'm trying my best, embracing the fact that it's never going to be perfect 100 percent of the time. And you should be OK with that. Right. You know, there's not a Cinderella story and that's OK with that. You know, I, I probably had to shake off this Cinderella syndrome probably in my early 30s. I was able to take that off and try to, like, divest myself of this, you know, need for this like perfect happily ever after being okay with that, but then also dialing in that emotional, that EQ that I talk about a lot and saying, maybe I don't feel that comfortable highlighting all these achievements of myself. That's not who I naturally am. But in this instance, I need to. Absolutely. And so in this instance, I need to put myself in fifth gear and say, I have, it's okay for me to shine right now because no one else is going to show it for me. No one else is going to show my accomplishments. No one else is going to put me on a silver platter in front of my boss or my colleagues. Right. The wheel that squeaks gets the oil. Right. It's just the opposite in Asia, where right. you, people would look down on anyone who speaks about themselves. All of us have had a conflict with the two cultures sure. and being able to survive in America and morphing it into this new America, a land of opportunity, where... It is truly a melting pot where we celebrate not just different cultures, but understanding the mindset of different cultures and being able mm -hmm. to not have everyone in one mold. Mm -hmm. And I think that is actually the strength of a nation to make one a great nation. You need so many different uh, minds and hands and creative energies. So uh, thank you so much for thank being you. our guest today on the Warrior Queen Project. And we would love you all to listen to Rina and her story and hopefully get inspired by it and learn to lead as she is. And we expect a lot more from you, Rina, as you go ahead in life. And we wish you the very best always. Thank you so much. This was a wonderful, wonderful dialogue having with you. And I always enjoy our conversations that we have. Absolutely. Absolutely.